0: Hi everyone, I'm presenting to you the Activism Academy. It is a platform powered by the Khalifa-Ila Institute and a space for activists, changemakers and outspoken youth to share their thoughts and contribute to discourses on different topics and causes. This podcast is an extension of said space to reach an ever-growing audience of podcast enthusiasts. The episodes are produced and hosted by Khalifa-Ila researchers Miriam Fani and me, Hela Grichi. To celebrate Pride Month, we launch our podcast with a conversation of the LGBTQ plus struggle in Italy with Professor Angelo Schilacci. Although part of the EU, Italy is severely lacking in protecting the LGBTQ plus community. The far right parties are now endangering it even more by purposely delaying the approval of the new Zen law against hate crimes towards women, disabled, and LGBTQ plus people. With homophobic aggressions being recorded every day, we analyze the struggle for civil rights in one of the oldest countries in the world. Welcome, Professor Angelo Scilacci. It's great to have you here with us for this episode on the ZAN law and to know more about the LGBTQ struggle in Italy.
1: Good afternoon, good evening to you. Thank you very much for this invitation.
0: It would be very great for our listeners to know who you are and know more about the work you do. So would you please introduce yourself?
1: Certainly yes my name is Angelo Scilacci I teach comparative public law at Sapienza University in Rome and I would say that one of my main fields of expertise starting in 2014 more or less is the field of LGBT plus rights so both for what concerns protection of family life but as well protection and against hate crimes, and generally non-discrim anti-discrimination anti-discrimi- law. Hmm?
0: That's very interesting. So you're the perfect guest for the issue we are going to discuss today. So for those unfamiliar with the LGBTQ struggle in Italy, can you please elaborate on the background and context of the fight, so that we, sh- that we can keep in mind as non-Italians uh, when we analyze the issue to understand it better?
1: Okay, yes, yeah, certainly, yes, the legal background I can provide you for what concerns LGBT rights in Italy. And it's, it isn't quite a satisfying legal framework, we can, uh, we can say. If you refer, for instance, to the rainbow map that, that ILGA Europe drafts every year, uh, certifying, so to say, the levels of protection of LGBT rights in the European, in the Council of Europe, in the area of the Council of Europe, Italy always stays in a very low position, and that, of course, states and testifies that uh, that our country hasn't got a satisfying level of protection of LGBT rights. Unfortunately, what we do have, indeed is, uh, of course, a law concerning acknowledgement and protection of uh, civil unions, civil partnership uh, among four same-sex couples. Uh, We have got a law, a very old law, concerning the gender gender reassignment, sorry, and the law was approved in 1982, so it's quite an ancient one. We have um, very few anti-discriminatory provisions in our legal framework. There is just a uh, provision concerning anti-protection against dis- discriminations in the field of labor law. It's the um, uh, implementation of the European Directive, 2078. So uh, uh, the Italian legislation on this subject was approved in 2003. So what I would say is that the field in which we have made better progresses and more progresses is the field of protection of family life. The law of the on same-sex civil unions was approved, passed in 2016. But for instance, it passed. It was approved without any provision concerning the uh, issue of parenting. So uh, children of LGBT families don't have any rights in our country. Um, To be more precise, there is a case law that acknowledges very few rights to children of LGBT couples for instance, through the so-called stepchild adoption, so a special form of of adoption, but still it is not provided by a law, but just by decisions of judges, so judicial decisions. Uh, uh, um, I don't have to say that we don't have any legislation for what concerns protection against hate speech and hate crimes. We are struggling right now for the approval of law, of a law on this subject.
2: Mm. Yeah, and um, we do, I was reading a, a little bit about the legislation, legislative framework in Italy, and uh, in many commentaries to this new upcoming law, I saw it being described as a kind of continuation, widening of a previous law that was approved in 1993, the Mancino law, which yeah. uh, is, uh, in a sense, we could say is kind of lacking, although it does cover quite much. It has, It is used mostly uh, to prevent uh, people from uh, using neo-Nazi or neo-fascist uh, slurs and recreating the fascist or Nazi party. So how is this new uh, law, the ZAN law, different from this other previous law that we already had?
1: Well, uh, the ZAN proposal, the, da- the ZAN draft bill, so to say, uh, enlarges, so to say, the um, the field already covered by the so-called Mancino law. The Mancino law was approved in 1993 and the previous form a previous version of that law had been approved in 1975 as an obligation arising from the New York covenant against racism. So we are in that stream, in that, uh, uh, in that stream. Yeah. Uh, So the Mancino law, as it is enforced right now in our country and valid in our country, just protects from hate speech and hate crimes based on race, national origin, ethnic origin and religion. What is lacking is a specific form of protection against hate crimes and hate speech for what concerns other personal conditions based on other personal conditions such as sex and gender, sexual orientation, gender identity or even disability. And what the Zen proposal provides is specifically, among other things, uh, an el- enlargement of the Mancino Law to, the, uh, protect- to protection against hate speech and hate crimes based on these specific personal conditions, such as sex, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, and disability. But what I would like to say is that the protection against hate crimes and hate speech through criminal provisions, criminal law pro- provision, is just one part of the ZAN proposal. Uh, but maybe we will have time and, um, to, to, to talk about that.
2: Yeah, I would like to, since you were talking already about uh, gender, gender identity, uh, I see a lot of the antagonism to the law that is coming from the far-right parties in Italy, uh, talks about uh, this uh, forced uh, gender I- gender agenda, this gender theory being forced on children and preventing uh, the freedom of speech and so on. But I also see on the other side that the people that are not just, uh, of course, LGBTQ plus activists, but people in general that take their time to read up on what is actually inside this law, they have... Uh, of course, they debunk this uh, fake news that circulate from the far right. But I was wondering if you if you have any data about how the population is uh, receiving the law. What is the public opinion in Italy about this law?
1: Well, uh, I can say two, uh, two things, um, basically. On the one hand, we yeah. have had polls and inquiries among the population that show that there is a great, uh, there is a great, uh, uh, there there are good feelings towards this bill, okay? Uh, Arousing 70% of the population that is actually in favor of this bill, okay? And what is very interesting is that a very recent poll showed that 51% of the electors of Center-right parties are in favor of this bill, so all this opposition that is coming from the right and far-right parties isn't quite uh, in tune with their very electors. On the other end, what we are witnessing is a um, quite a strong mobilization. Of Italian civil society or population in the in the public space. There have been uh, huge demonst- demonstrations in the both in April and in May in, in major Italian cities such as Milan, Rome, Turin, Palermo, uh, Naples, and um, And this uh, uh, goes along with a strong mobilization as well in the in the wider public space. So a number of singers, actors on social media have uh, acted up in favor of this bill. Okay. of course, we have had also demonstrations against the bill, so there is a huge social conflict. It seems to be. It happens to be a huge social conflict, of course, in the manners and forms that the pandemic allows. Because you know, the demonstrating is not so easy in a pandemic context.
0: Hmm? Mm. It would be also interesting to know if this, um, if this voting in favor of this law comes from civil society, from NGO activism, from individuals and artists, or are there also other political parties in the Italian sphere? Um, that contributed to this. We always hear about the far right, but uh, I don't hear a lot about the center and left parties and their contribution to this discussion.
1: No, there is indeed a huge um, engagement of the center-left political forces and particularly the Five Star Movement, the far left and the Democratic Party. For instance, the new elected secretary of the Democratic Party, the former Prime Minister Enrico Letta, one of his first public pronunciation, public speeches, was in favor of this bill. And indeed, the name of this bill, Zan, comes from the representative Alessandro Zan, that is a member of the Democratic Party. So in the democratic community, in the community of the Democratic Party in our country, there is a, a, a huge um, how can I say that, uh, um, that, well, the community of the Democratic Party is certainly in favor and is struggling for this bill, okay, uh, but the same applies to the five, to the five star movement, uh, that indeed has been also in the other branch of the parliament in the chamber of the deputies has been maybe the most coherent political force on this bill. For instance, the five star movement hasn't uh, signed any amendment to this bill. Okay, so the only political party that didn't present any amendment, any proposal of modification of this bill. So there is a huge uh, uh, backing of this of this bill from the five star movement, as there is from the Democratic Party and the far left, of course, as well. What we are witnessing is that another political party that actually uh, was part of the majority that sustained the last government, the last government um, headed by Conte, Italia Viva, uh, that's quite a centrist party, that voted for the law in the Chamber of the Deputies, actually is uh, shifting to a to more Cold position or doubtful position on this bill. Mm? It isn't clear if this happens due to technical reasons or to political reasons. <laughs> we, can assume,
2: <laughs> we can assume that when uh, when the leader of Italia Viva, former former Prime Minister Renzi, does something, there is usually some calculation behind it. As uh, well,
1: I. I
2: want answers to this. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, we can uh, remember the how actually the the same sex union uh, law was uh, carried out in Italy as a matter of fact with a little bit of push from the European Union on uh, Renzi to actually do something about uh, the very precarious legal no, no, framework. Renzi,
1: Renzi, uh, Renzi, it it has to be acknowledged that in that case Renzi was the Deus ex machina. So, it was the man that, as prime minister, helped a lot uh, overcoming the the difficulties that the bill on civil unions was 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 facing in the Senate, for instance. Uh, so there was, a, but anyway, things change,s politics change over the years, and so you know. We are there. We are trying to understand when this when the Senate will be able to finally vote for this bill against eight crimes and eight speeches hmm?
2: we can add also sorry, mm-hmm. we can also add the detail that uh, as a matter of fact, the president of the Senate is a uh, member of the one of the far right parties, the league, and he has been uh, single handedly postponing and uh, ostracizing the approval or even the discussion of the law. Senate. Yes.
1: luckily he is not the president of the Senate. He is the president of the committee that is <laughs> uh, uh, working actually on the bill, because according to our parliamentary law, each and every proposal of law has to be, uh, uh, oh my God, has to be um, approved. First by a committee and then by the whole Senate, by the whole chamber. and But the president of this committee indeed is from the League, belongs to the League, and he is uh, making things quite hard for this bill to pass. Mm-hmm. With a lot of filibustering, as they say in English, <laughs> yeah. in parliamentary law, you... Yeah. you you call filibustering all those all those uh, struggles that the, opon- the opponents of a bill put into force just to make things difficult. Eh? Working on the procedures, trying to find all the bugs in the procedures that they use to make things harder and slower. Eh? And so we are facing that actually. Mm?
0: Mm. Is, is it a filibuster like in the US where a member of the parliament or the senate talks and talks and talks and it doesn't end or is it more of a, you know, filibuster to say that they keep on delaying all the procedures on purpose?
1: Well, endlessly talking is one of the classical forms of filibustering also in our parliament. but. We have lots of fantasy in our parliament, so we <laughs> we have lots of ways to pili, to pili, to filibuster. For instance, the um, the things that they are doing now in the committee and that the president is doing now in the committee is um, overusing the auditions, so the committee can listen to associations, experts, and it is a prerogative, a former prerogative of the committee as examining a bill of law. But what is happening now is that they asked 170 association experts to be listened to. So this this can uh, possibly last three, four or five months. So you see, this is filibustering in our parliament. You can use whatever you want to filibuster. It, it, it depends on how you use the procedure. Hmm? That is
0: really fascinating, but also another really fascinating thing to me is when far right movements in itself have an LGBTQ branch or have LGBTQ members that are literally part of the queer community, but also part of a far right movement. So, what do you think of this paradox?
1: Well, in Italy, uh, I think that in Italy it is still quite a rare phenomenon. So, it is not so frequent that you find open LGBT uh, and queer, as you said, I wouldn't say that, uh, in far-right parties. It is indeed more frequent in other European countries, especially in northern European countries. I think it depends, but of course, it's just a generalization, so we, we should re- reflect and study upon that. Of course, uh, you see that more, more frequently in countries that already have acknowledged civil rights, to LGBT people, because it is as if after having ended the struggle for civil rights and public acknowledgement of LGBT persons and lifestyle and so on, the political spectrum organizes as it is is traditionally organized. So you have um, LGBT people that have far-right far right ideas or right political ideas or leftist political ideas and so on. Uh, when in, instead you have already, you have still to struggle for public acknowledgement and for civil rights, it is traditionally, traditionally more or less a matter of the left. Uh, so this is why in our country it is still not so frequent to see openly LGBT far-right exponents or politicians and so on. Those few have very particular positions, I would say, because they say, for instance, yes, I am an LGBT person. I am part of this far-right movement or so, or right movement and so on. And I am, for instance, against civil rights for LGBT people. So it's like a contradiction. I mean, uh, you are an LGBT politician in a country that doesn't acno- fully acknowledge equal social dignity to LGBT people and you are against that being an LGBT person. is quite uh, awkward, I would say. Huh?
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's like here also in Germany, uh, the AFD, they have a uh, top politician. Her name is Alice Weidel and she was married.
1: Yeah, she was married to a woman, yes, yes, I know that. But you have to you have to focus, for instance, that in northern countries or in countries in which, for instance, the, how uh, uh, can I say, the multicultural dimension of pluralism, of political pluralism and social pluralism has led to this shift of some parts of the LGBT community towards the right wing. Because there is a matter of Islamophobia, for instance, so LGBT people, for instance, feel protected by the right, the far right, or the right movements against the Islamic communities or the ex- some extreme positions uh, showed by Islamic communities. For instance, also in the auditions for um, uh, on the Zan draft proposal one of the subject one of the associations or the communities that was listened by the committee was the union of the islamic community of italy and for instance they were contrary as the catholic church is is uh, contrary to this is against this uh, this bill and so i see this kind of movement in other countries of europe of course i'm generalizing because i don't have even the competencies or the tasks to, or the skills to 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 dig into this specific subject, but is what this is what I see. I mean, and uh, but in Italy we still haven't experienced this specific uh, this specific phenomenon. I mean, the the, uh, the growing up of uh, the, the the typical posture of our far right politicians and rightist politicians is that I'm in favor of individual freedom in each and every, so people can do in their bedroom whatever they want, but family has to be conceived as the union of a man and a woman, open to procreation, open to reproduction and so on. Children have to have, have, must have a mama and a papa and so on. So this is the most common position. Uh, uh, Everyone has to be protected against discrimination or violence, but you don't have to give specific protection or, acknowledging, or acknowledgement to specific personal conditions. Because everyone in Italy is protected equally by the law, when instead we know that you need a more intense protection for minorities and communities that are particularly vulnerable due to social and political reasons and cultural reasons, as it happens in Italy, for instance. Then we have a very high rate of vulnerability of, of the LGBT collective. Hmm and so you need a specific law to protect the lgbt community from violence because we can see what you we can need see it really means. yes because what you really need is a law declaring publicly that gender identity and sexual orientation are personal conditions that deserve protection by the state because You live in a context as the Italian context in which. A lot of people still believes that sexual orientation and gender identity is. Just a lifestyle or a choice, or even some sort of an illness to be cured and corrected. And instead you need a law. stating publicly that sexual orientation and gender identity are public values for the political community, okay? And so you have to protect them as public values. This is the cultural shift that we are struggling for with the Zan bill, okay? So uh, uh, this is the, the, the very core of the debate in my opinion. If you want to understand the public conflict on this issue in our country right now, you have to focus on this specific point acknowledgement, recognition, public recognition of LGBT um, community, subjectivity, and so on. This is the core of the conflict, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, we can definitely see, the, especially the need for cultural understandment, when uh, every day in the news we have cases of uh, homophobic aggressions, even oftentimes. For example, I remember the case Yesterday or today, a 12 years old girl, she was assaulted and beaten by a, an adult man because she was wearing a bag with the rainbow flag. So yeah. the the fear, the ignorance, they are so strong that, of course, a uh, cultural shift is... Uh, is required and expected, and will probably be inevitable with the uh, cultural, with the uh, generational change and uh, new new generations coming forward that are brought up with different values than in the past. Not to sure. say that uh, yeah everything. everybody is uh, not to say that all the all the people are uh, have uh, very conservative visions, of course. But uh, a cultural shift is uh, kind of inevitable, as uh, yeah progress always tends to be.
1: Yes, of course, a major cultural shift is needed in our country. And uh, the approval of the design pro- proposal can help, certainly, in this direction, both for its symbolic value, of course, because the republic is approving a law that is acknowledging the equal dignity of of, of LGBT people. But at the same time, On the other end, the second part of the bill helps a lot. This cultural processes and cultural shift because it talks about education, it talks about a national strategy to prevent discrimination against LGBT people. It talks about the uh, funding and construction or introduction of centers against discrimination and refugee houses. So places in which vulnerable LGBT people, and especially vulnerable LGBT youth, can go and have access in order to be protected and helped, uh, both on the legal field or for what concerns to the health protection, for instance, and so on. So this is why the approval of this bill is so important. Uh, and look, uh, we are, I think we are in the middle of a wider process, wider European process, I would say as well, culturally and politically speaking. Because if you focus, for instance, on what happened yesterday in Hungary or what is happening in Poland in this historical moment, I think that we have to be very careful about that. because. Mm, A growing part of European societies is shifting towards a cultural attitude of fear against diversities, against differences. And there are political forces that mm, use that fear to gain consensus. Overrepresenting identities, for instance, national identity, religious identity of the country, morals, and so on. And that serves these fears. And so we are precisely there. We are choosing in Italy right now, if we want to be a country that construes diversity as a factor of enrichment for the community, or a country that still wants to construe diversity as something to be afraid of. Mm? And we are there, and I'm afraid that, we, that if we don't succeed in approving this bill, the future won't be so, uh, uh, so good for our country, because there are signs, as the case that you remembered, Miriam, that there are signals of growing intolerance in our country as in other European countries. And so if tomorrow we will have a government with the same political and cultural positions as Orban or Morawiecki and so on, I don't know what what will be of this country on these specific fields. So this is why approving this law is so important now. Think about it. Italy, is, Italy LGBT community, and, Ita- and Italian politics is struggling to approve a law like this uh, since 1996. I've been struggling for this since 1996. The first draft proposal on this matter, on this topic, was presented in 1996, 25 years ago, and we still are struggling with that. Still facing the same objections, the same criticisms, freedom of expression, uh, the, 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 the gender ghost, the gender phantom in the public space. And so uh, uh, I, I hope that this will be the, the, the turning point. This time will be the turning point.
2: Yeah. And it's uh, in my opinion, it is always interesting to see that uh, when freedom of expression is brought up in this kind of discussions, it is always uh, perceived as freedom of insulting the other people, freedom of attacking. And uh, every time uh, somebody tries to maybe protect and give rights to those that don't have rights, the other parts perceive it as their own rights being taken away from them. It's fascinating how this kind of mentality does not ma- doesn't manage to imagine coexisting with different uh, different types of people. They can't imagine people looking thinking differently than them, and uh, that is quite saddening and it makes me worry much for the future of my country.
1: Yes, what I see here, you know, is on the one end a very weak awareness of the natural, I would say, limits to freedom of expression in a democracy. On the one hand, peaceful coexistence. On the other hand, protection of personal dignity of the others. And I think on the other hand that this weak awareness of the limits of the freedom of expression is, mm, is more deeply connected with the crisis of political solidarity, the crisis of political cohesion, the uh, weakening of the common basis for political coexistence in a pluralistic so- society, and even of the capacity of feeling and being responsible for the others, you know, taking care of the other in a political Community, so the very basis of political coexistence, uh, 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 and the pun- the criminal punishment of hate speech and hate crimes is the extreme way that a state, that a, state, a legal uh, order, a legal environment can provide to uh, uh, put some limits to the uh, uh, to political coexistence so putting some stating addressing some limits so to coexist peacefully and mutually respecting each other we have to put this kind of limits so punishing some speeches punishing some actions that are based exclusively on hate against differences and diversities
2: So let's hope that uh, we will have also politicians that have enough uh, capacity to build into the future to also um, set out some proper education for everybody, not just for children, but for everybody. Some proper education, not just on LGBT issues, but on what actually the human rights are and what they mean.
1: Yes, and I would add to that... Being responsible, feeling responsible for the other, and showing, because politicians have this great responsibility, showing to the people that coexisting in a diverse community is really the core value of democracy. So teaching that instead than teaching that you have to be afraid of who is different, because he or she is coming here to uh, uh, take rights back from you or to damage you as it happens as you know so i'm sorry for the ambulance <laughs> as it happens uh, for instance when it when it comes to dealing with migrations or dealing with uh, uh, the growing presence of foreign people in our countries so uh this is the greater responsibility the greatest responsibility that i put on our politicians you have to teach that coexisting with in a diverse community is really a value learning to coexist peacefully in a diverse community is the key for our to to build up our future
0: i think it is also important to teach uh, young kids from the start that they have to think critically and ask questions yeah. and and learn what credibility is because now, even if we do the effort to teach people things, I see that few fake news. Everything falls into the river, and politicians really have to address the things that you were talking about, but also raise awareness on how to deal with information in, in
1: this age. Yeah, and uh, uh, on this on this um, on this subject on this matter, I would like to recall one of the provisions of the Zan proposal. Article seven, uh, that is the article that uh, introduces in our country the Idaho Bit, so the International Day against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia, uh, providing as well that in uh, during that day, uh, also uh, uh, celebrations and seminars and any other um, meetings or. And, and, and so on can be held as well in schools. I re- recall these provisions of this provision of the law, because in the first paragraph of, of this article, you see expressed the very objective of this. Wider education that hella was talking about, that that is fighting against prejudices, building a culture of mutual respect. Fighting prejudices and discrimination, of course, based on sexual orientation and uh, gender identity, but fighting prejudices and building a culture of and favoring a culture of mutual respect.
2: So, in this, I will ask you one last question. Um, which outcome do you think this uh, law will uh, face? Will it be approved? Or will it be
1: modified? Oh, well, I really I'm going to answer this question. This, the political situation right now is still quite confused. Uh, what I can certainly say is that. Uh, it is uh, a win of a win or lose battle. I mean, if they succeed to prove it until July. We are safe and sound. If they don't succeed approving it until the end of July, um, I think that in the end, this law will not pass. Because uh, the, the, the the immediate political future of our, and parliamentary future of our country is quite complex. We will have to face in autumn, a very uh, complex uh, budget session. And then in January Parliament will have to elect the next president of the Republic, the next head of state. And then it is not clear if we will go to an to to early general election in the spring of two thousand and twenty-two and twenty twenty-two. So July will be the month, the crucial month, to approve or not this bill. What will the outcome be? I don't know right now. I'm confident because I'm always confident. I'm optimistic because. I use my head, but I see that the situation, politically speaking, is quite complex.
2: Yeah, as always in Italy, the situation is always (laughs) Always complex. complex.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. So, on a more cheerful note, do you do you have any further reading or some film to watch that you would like to to recommend to our listeners, as it is uh, Pride Month?
1: Yes, um, as for the books, OK, I will suggest uh, three books that have been recently published in Italy, of course, in Italian, that regard the history of our LGBT plus community and movement. The first one is called Queer, written by Maya De Leo she is a scholar, very um, competent on this matter. The second one is called Fuori i nomi by Simone Alliva. And the third one um, is called Il delitto di Giarre, written by Francesco Lepore. And uh, this latest one talks about one of the very first uh, certified acts of homophobia in our country at the end of the 70s. The murdering of two young boys that loved each other, and they were killed in this very small town in uh, Sicily called Jarre. And so the book is called Il Delitto di Jarre*. that is the murder of Jarre. And um, as for the movies, well, one of my favorite ones when it comes to the history of LGBT movement, is certainly pride. So the one that uh, talks about the struggle of the minors in England and how the minors were sustained and supported by the LGBT movement in a very early phase of our history, so 1984, the first half of the 80s. I like that movie because it's a very well known one, so I'm not suggesting anything that is not known by our audience. I can imagine. but I like that movie because it shows the intersection of the struggles for civil rights on the one end and social rights on the other. so the, the 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 inter the intersection and the profound unity of each and every struggle for rights for human rights, okay.
2: We can say it reiterates our message, which is that society cannot be based on exclusion. You can't exist if you decide to exclude everybody else from your surroundings.
1: Yeah, certainly, yes. And you need bread and roses, as in pride, okay? So you need bread, you need to be materially equal to everyone else and have material support for your life and for a decent life, at least. And then you need roses, so you need to be happy and you need your state in your homeland to provide you with those civil rights that grant you happiness in the end. So to be yourself and to be free being yourself. Hmm?
2: I can provide also uh, an international suggestion for those that want to read the book in English. I guess uh, one of the most famous uh, stories of the last years, uh, Call Me By Your Name, which is uh, set in Northern Italy. And it's quite a beautiful story on love and uh, a bittersweet love, I would say. But for those of our listeners that want to feel a bit of the Italian heat and atmosphere in English, I would say go with uh, Call Me By Your Name.
1: Call Me By Your Name, and then I will add one last one, uh, one last movie, if someone wants to dig into Italian cinema, Italian, and and it is an Italian classical. Uh, that provides a vision of how homosexuality was perceived during fascism, for instance, in our country. And the movie is called In Italian Una Giornata Particolare. It was uh, out in the 70s, I would say, by Ettore Scola with Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. It's a very beautiful movie. I am sure that it has been uh, also um, distributed Abroad and not only in our country because it is a classical, a huge classical. Okay.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for talking with us about this uh, quite uh, interesting and uh, disappointing issue. I have to say we are facing in Italy once again.
1: Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Happy Pride Month to all of our listeners, Um, be strong, everybody, and uh, good luck, Professor, uh, for your next uh, academic years and uh, your next uh, researchers and projects.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much for this invitation. It has been a pleasure. Thank you
0: for participating. More power to the LGBT community in Italy, and I wish you all
1: the best. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for listening to the activism academy podcast with your hosts hella grishi and miriam fanin we hope that the italian lgbtq community will soon be protected under this new bill pride month goes on and so does the worldwide struggle for equal rights if you want to stay tuned to learn more about the lgbtq community and their fight subscribe to our podcast to catch our next episodes or head over to our instagram activism academy or our website Happy Pride and see you soon!